The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 7 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC7. This is Secret Church 7, Episode 8. Next, the shield of faith adversary is shooting flaming arrows at you. What are you going to do? Faith. Take up your faith in God's character. Satan will cause you to doubt, to question the character and the goodness and the greatness of God. How do you fight that? Do you say, demon of doubt, be gone? No. You cling to the truth of God in Psalm 84 and you say, the Lord my God is a sun and shield for me. You cling to the reality that you have a father who gave up everything and will give you anything you need. If God is for us, who can be against us? You have faith in his character. You have faith in God's promises. When Satan says you are condemned, you say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. When Satan says you are alone, you say, I'm not discouraged because my God will be with me wherever I go. Therefore, I do not need to fear. When you are afraid, Satan says, you need to be afraid. You say, fear not, God tells me. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, God will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned because he is the Lord, our God. We are precious and honored in our sight and he loves us and he takes care of his own. You hold up the shield of faith when devil brings flaming arrows at you. Don't start renouncing him. Just start loving the word and he will flee. Shield of faith, faith in his promises, faith in God's power. His power, God's power, First Peter 1, 1 Peter 5. There's no arrow aimed at you from the evil one that is above or beyond the power of God, not one. You have a faith that quenches flaming arrows. His arrows are his schemes, his temptations, his lies, his deceptions, his attacks. And I just put in here just... And this is more, just go ahead and put this out on the table. This is more personal experience, but I think we see this picture in Scripture. But I, I think there are, are ways when we think through the arrows coming at us, when we are taking significant steps, significant steps of faith, whenever you begin to press in sanctification and press through progress in sanctification, you're going to face arrows from the evil one. When we are invading enemy ter- territory, Brothers and sisters, the more you get involved in the Great Commission, the more you will face flaming arrows from the evil one. You're sitting back doing nothing about the spreading of the gospel of the world, then you're not a problem for the kingdoms of darkness. You start proclaiming the gospel, going to the nations, the ends of the earth with the gospel, you're going to face arrows. When we're exposing Satan for who he really is, without going into details, testify that the last three months have involved different things in my own life that have that have made it very clear that I've been teaching, studying about angels, demons, spiritual warfare. When we repent of a long-held sin pattern or unholy relationship, a couple stops living together, moves out and is honoring God, don't think, okay, that means everything's going to be easier. The Satan, the flaming his heirs of the evil one will attack you. Oftentimes when we pursue righteousness, things are going to get harder, not easier. And when God is preparing us individually or corporately for a great work for his glory, When God's about to do something great in and through your life, just know that there are likely flaming arrows that are headed right toward you. There's a bullseye on your back. This is the picture of Elijah right before the prophets of Baal and he's about to call fire down from heaven and I love it 
First Kings 18, right there in the middle of the chapter, when Ahab comes up to him and says, you are a troubler of Israel. I love that. He was known for making trouble for the kingdom of darkness. Like, don't you just want your face on a wanted poster in hell? <laughs> yes. He makes trouble for us. That's the picture. Okay. Shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. What does that mean? It means that victory in spiritual warfare is grounded in a holistic understanding of what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved. What it means to be delivered from sin. When it comes to salvation, we need to remember, we have been saved. Scripture talks about salvation in the past tense. We have been saved. We've been declared right before God. This is justification. We have freedom from the penalty of sin. This is, think of how huge this is in spiritual warfare, realizing you are free from the penalty of sin. Free from it. But that's not where we stop in our understanding of salvation. If we stop there, then we say, I've prayed a prayer and I'm free from the penalty of sin. I'm going to heaven and I can live however I want. And we live totally defeated Christian lives when we buy into that false idea of salvation. It's where it starts, not where it stops. Second, we are being saved. We're working out our salvation. This is the process of sanctification, freedom from the power of sin. Christ has not just saved you to get out of the line going to hell and into the line going to heaven. He saved you for a new life to walk with him and enjoy him and grow in him. And you're free from the power of sin. Yes, you still struggle, but you have power over sin. And there's coming a day when we will be saved. Scripture talks about salvation in the future sense, glorification, freedom from the presence of sin when all sin will be gone. And what we find is, I think, many of our struggles in our Christian lives are, are rooted back in a misunderstanding of justification, sanctification, or glorification. Either we think that we can justify ourselves and Satan convinces us we can do that, or we think sanctification is optional. I'm going to heaven, my sin will be tolerated along the way. It's no big deal. Or we think, I'm never gonna get there, and we walk through life defeated and hopeless because we don't realize that there's coming a day when sin will be totally gone, and we press on until that day. Spiritual warfare needs an understanding of all three. Then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, an offensive and a defensive weapon. It's non-negotiable. Matthew chapter four, Jesus is tempted three times. Every single time, what does he do? He quotes scripture. Did Jesus have to quote scripture in order to ward off temptation in Matthew chapter four? Absolutely not. Jesus was the kind of guy who could say anything at that point and it would have become what? Scripture. He was that good. And so, <laughs> and so he quotes scripture to show us that there's a power in the word of God in resisting temptation. This is so huge. So we need, you want to be victorious in spiritual warfare? Oh, this is so not glamorous. Read the word. Study the word. Memorize the word. Hide it in your heart. Meditate on the word. Read, memorize, and apply. Last one, apply the word. This is where I'm convinced we have really missed it in a lot of the literature and teaching on spiritual warfare in our day. Most, some of the most respected teachers in the spiritual warfare movement fight spiritual warfare totally different than what Jesus was doing here. Listen to this account from a respected book that I was reading through. It's a conversation between a counselor, the expert here in spiritual warfare, and a woman whom he's counseling that he claimed was possessed by a demon. 
The counselor was talking with her in the midst of their conversation. Suddenly, he said the demons interrupted the conversation. And so this is what he wrote in his notes. The demon suddenly said to me, demons don't like you because you tell too much and you talk too much and too many people are getting convinced. Too many people are getting convinced of what? I responded, that's the expert in spiritual warfare. We have been at war with you for too doggone long and we are sick of it. Who is we, I demanded. What do you mean we? You know who I am, anger flared in the demons. What is your name, I said. Oh, come on, disgust filled the demon's voice. What is your name, I insisted. You know my name, you named me. You named me the last time I was here. You named me, you named me, so give me my name back. No, you tell me your name, I persisted. Oh, shut up, came the not too polite reply. I said, you are under the authority of Jesus Christ. You are to respect him and his servants. Now I want you to confess that you will leave today. I command you to leave by the authority of Christ. The demon said, I'll kill her first. He repeated it three times. You can't stop me from killing her. Yes, I can. I forbid you to do it. How? The demon tried to delay. Jesus forbids you, I said. You can't do that, he protested. What is that about? Can you imagine a story like that in the Gospels or in the New Testament? Jesus' method for dealing with Satan and his minions is a far cry from this bizarre technique. Jesus was faced with three fiery temptations and he didn't decide to have a dialogue with Satan. He didn't decide to condemn or bind the devil. All he did was hold up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and the devil was gone. So this is the picture. This is what this counselee needs. Someone to share the word of God with her because it is the power of God in spiritual warfare. Not this engagement conversation. Take the sword of the spirit and trust in it. It's the word of God. And then we come to the last component, picture of the armor of God and it's prayer. It's not attached to a particular item in armor. But Luther said, prayer is the mightiest of all weapons that created, that created creatures can wield. Prayer is the heart of spiritual warfare. All prayer is ultimately related to spiritual warfare because prayer is our constant communication with our commander in chief. We must pray consistently. We must pray intensely. We must pray strategically. We must pray strategically for specific things. You look at the New Testament church, we're gonna totally run through this. This is just a summary of the picture of the New Testament church as they were facing spiritual warfare, how they were praying. They were praying to the God who is sovereign over everything in the world. They knew that. And the God who supplies everything we need I love Acts 17. Let me tell you a secret the early church knew. They knew that the secret to seeing the power of God in the church is not found in serving God, but in being served by God. Not found in saying, here's what we can do for you, God, but found in getting on your face and calling out for God to do what only he can do in and through us. The New Testament church prayed because they were utterly dependent on God's power. They knew they could not do it without him. And they were utterly desperate for God's grace. Utterly dependent on his power, desperate for his grace, and utterly devoted to God's mission. This is why they prayed. God has given us prayer, ladies and gentlemen, because Jesus has given us a mission. Sometimes we ask, even as Christians in the church, why do we need to pray? The reality is, if we're not on mission, what, what do we need to pray for? You don't need to pray when you're watching TV or spending all your hours mindlessly surfing the internet. And you don't 
You don't need to pray if there's nothing at stake in the way you're living. You're not risking anything for the glory of Christ. When your Christianity consists of religious monotonous routine, then prayer is really not needed. But when you are on the front lines engaging the forces of evil, proclaiming the gospel and pursuing purity and holiness and proclaiming the holiness of God to the ends of the earth, you will need prayer. You'll need constant communication with your commander-in-chief. The New Testament church prayed when they were gathered together. They prayed. And when they were scattered apart, they prayed. Gathered together and scattered apart, they prayed for the success of God's word. Oh, now Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, Acts 4. And for the spread of God's worship. This is the heart of the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is not a declaration. That is not God, your name is holy. That is a request. It is a petition. God, make your name known as holy. Show yourself as holy. This is what we pray. We pray to the ends of the earth. God, show your name as holy in all the world. All of these together coming in the armor of God. This is spiritual warfare. What I, what I did at the end here is uh, gave you just a picture of how these different pieces of the armor of God played out in the way Paul addressed the Christians at Corinth. And we're not going to walk through all of those, but I want you to see that we are surrounded by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we fight by standing firm and pressing forward. Standing firm and pressing forward with Truth, righteousness, a gospel of peace, faith, knowledge of our salvation, understanding of salvation, the word of God, and we pray. We pray like crazy. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.